The gospel according to Mark differs in one very important way from the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to Mark does not give us an account of the birth of Christ. Nor does it give us the announcement of the angels. The gospel according to Mark actually opens with the ministry of John the Baptist. And Mark tells us that John was baptizing in the wilderness. He was preaching baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And people were going from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and they were going to John there in the Jordan Valley, and they were being baptized. Now, the interesting thing is this. These people were leaving the cities and going to the Jordan Valley to be baptized of John, and John was nothing more than what we would call a simple country preacher. Mark tells us he was clothed with camel's hair. His diet was primarily locusts and wild honey. But this backwoods preacher, he knew how to draw a crowd. John was also telling the people something else. John was telling the people that there was someone coming that was going to be far greater than he was. And that someone who was coming that was greater than John was Jesus. And Mark tells us that Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John for John to baptize him. And after his baptism, we're told that Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted. For 40 days, He was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to Him. And all of that is told in 13 short verses in the first chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. Following the opening third of that first chapter of Mark, there are three additional paragraphs. And what I want to do for a few moments this morning, and I've already been told that last Sunday you got out quite early, so I'm going to try to make up for that today. But I would like for us to focus on those three paragraphs this morning. Because those three paragraphs, beginning with verse 14, suggest the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ. In verses 14 and 15, we find there it's, it's a very brief paragraph. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ came to proclaim a message. Jesus didn't come into this world just primarily to live a life, though the life that Jesus lived was certainly important. Jesus came to tell the world something the world did not know. Something the world could not know until Jesus revealed it. And the message of Jesus Christ was a message of truth. The message of Jesus Christ was a message of salvation. Had Jesus not brought this message, beloved, there would have been no salvation. Jesus preeminently brought a message of good news. 
In fact, we call it the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. What Jesus brought was something that the human family desperately needed. The physical being of humanity is important. It's important for us to know how to raise better crops. It's important for us to know how to use land efficiently. It's important for mankind to know how to carry on business affairs and family affairs. But the message of Jesus Christ is the message most needed by mankind. Think of all the things that you see and hear today that are discussed in newspapers, magazines, radio, and television. Think of the literal overflow of information, some of it totally extraneous and irrelevant and insignificant that you can find on the Internet. All of that is nothing because there is nothing in this world as important as the sweet old story of Jesus Christ and His love. The good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into this world. The good news of how to become a Christian, how to be saved, and how to spend eternity with God in heaven after this life is over. You know, I've been doing this now for about 52 or 53 years. I'm not really sure. Math was never my strong suit. But I have often wished that I could somehow make Jesus Christ more real to people. More real to the world around us. Somehow that I could make Jesus more real even to church people. Because you see, there is no deeper yearning in our hearts than that somehow this message that Jesus came to proclaim might appear as important as it really is in the hearts of people on this earth. Do you notice the urgency and the immediacy immediacy of this passage? Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus doesn't say anything in that passage about the past. It would have been legitimate if Jesus had talked about the history that led to that moment. But He doesn't say anything in that passage about the past. And Jesus doesn't say anything in that passage about the future. And yet, what does the gospel do? The gospel points to a wonderful, glorious future for Christians in the world to come. He doesn't mention the future. He doesn't mention the past. Jesus emphasizes the present. And there's an urgency about it. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And He said the times fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I wish that there was some way, somehow, that I would know how to cause everyone I come in contact with 
to understand the immediacy and the urgency of accepting Jesus Christ. I wish I knew how to cause those that have accepted Him to sometimes feel the urgency of living for Him. Not sometime next week or next year, but that I could somehow emphasize it right now. Because you know what? There's no guarantee that there's going to be tomorrow. Someday, the sun's going to come rising over those eastern hills. It's going to flood this old earth with its warmth and its mellow light. And I'm not going to be here to bask in that sunlight. I'm not going to hear the songs of the birds singing early in the morning in the trees. I'm not going to be sitting waiting for the sun to come up drinking my hot, strong coffee like you've read about me doing from time to time. Because I won't have tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. And Jesus in that passage emphasizes the present tense. Now I'm not going to read the next paragraph. But if you look at verses 16 through 20, you will see that Jesus came to call individual men. Because in that next paragraph, we see Jesus as He sees Simon and Andrew and He says, Come and follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus did not come to this earth to simply stand off in a corner with the good news that He brought for man's salvation. And Jesus did not come to live His life in seclusion. Jesus came that we might have life. He came that we might have it more abundantly. He came to bring joy into the lives of people that He came in contact with. You see, there is a penetrating quality about Jesus. Jesus was not someone you could just ignore. Jesus was like salt. Salt is something you can't ignore. That's why He called us to be the salt of the earth. If you've got a bowl of peas or beans or greens or potatoes and there's no salt in there, you know it's not there. And if somebody stumps their toe with the salt shaker, you know there's too much salt. You cannot ignore salt. If salt is in your food, you know it immediately. If it's not there, you know that also. Wherever Jesus Christ went, His presence was seen and His presence was felt. But the emphasis in this second paragraph is that Jesus called people. Jesus' movement was not just a great movement among the aggregate of the people. Jesus called individual men to come to Him. He called individual men to work with Him. And as a result, Simon and Andrew, they immediately left their boat with their father and followed Him. And after he called Simon and Andrew, he went a little further down the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. 
And there he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And he called them also. They were mending their nets so they could go back to fish again. Jesus said, Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they did it immediately. Write this down. It's on the final exam. When Jesus calls people to come, He wants them to come immediately. When you think about God and the individual person, do you feel the personal element of God throughout this book? The entire Bible is written in terms of the individual. In the Old Testament, it was Joseph and Abraham and Daniel and David. In the New Testament, preeminently, it was Jesus. Jesus was a person. He walked this earth. He walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He made the deaf to hear. He made the lame to walk. Jesus was always a person Himself. He was real. God's appeal. God's appeal throughout this book is always, consistently, in terms of the individual. When the Gospel was preached to the Gentiles, it was through a person. It came through Paul the great apostle to the Gentiles. We have no idea how tall Paul was. We have no idea what Paul looked like. But can you with your sanctified imagination, can you with your sanctified imagination and by an eye of faith see the great apostle as he walked into Athens? The seed of learning in that first century. And He proclaimed to them about Jesus Christ and the God of heaven. Can you see Him as He moves over to the city of Corinth? One of the most scandalous cities of the first century. And He preached Jesus Christ in Corinth. Can you see Him in prison in the capital city of Rome as people would come to Him and He would tell them about Jesus Christ? Paul was a person. He was an individual. God sends individual persons to carry His gospel. Just as He sent Jesus, an individual person, to bring the gospel into the world. God is interested in persons and individuals. God is interested in me. And God is interested in you. Let's be honest. Is there any one of us that likes to be known as a number? Is there any one of us that likes it when someone says, let me have the last four digits of your social, please? I like for people to know who I am. We want to be known as an individual and as a person. When we realize That here in these United States, there are almost 350 million people. It can sometimes seem a bit overwhelming, can it not? 
And it can almost make us feel a bit insignificant. I want to make an honest confession to you this morning. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have no idea that I even exist. And before you gloat too much about it, they don't know you exist either. And you know what? That's okay with me. I really don't care. It's not important that they know who I am. But when I read this book, when I I read this book, I learn that God knows even the number of hairs on my head. Admittedly, that's easier to count on on some of us than it is others. But God knows the number of hairs on my head. God knows my name. And when I know that God knows the number of hairs on my head, that God knows my name, I know that whether some politician somewhere knows who I am or not is unimportant because God knows who I am. And if God knows who I am, that means that I am somebody special. The fact that God knows me is more important than anybody else knowing me. When I read in this book that I am made in the image of God and that I have a soul that will live on through eternity, I can hold my head upright. I can be like the old preacher. C.R. Nickel was a great preacher of the previous century. And he always walked with very rigid posture and his head held erect. And someone remarked to him one day, they said, Brother Nickel, you walk as if you owned the world. You know what his response was? I don't. But my Father does. I don't own the world either, but my Father does own the world. God knows who I am. He knows my name and I'm important to God. One of the most important things, one of the most wonderful things, about Jesus Christ coming into this world is that it was personal. Jesus called individuals. Beloved, there is a wonderfully practical point there. We preach from this pulpit every Lord's Day. We support works such as the search television program that are on radio and television. We record our sermons and they're available on YouTube, on the Internet, on Facebook, on the Internet, on our website, on the Internet. They're available on Apple iTunes as a podcast on the Internet. But the chief way that the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been spread has been from person to person. One person tells another person. Here's a man or a woman. We take, we'll take a man or a woman that believes in the Lord. And their belief in the Lord and their life for the Lord spills over into the life of their child or the life of their companion. It spills over into the life of a neighbor or into the life of someone they work with. The spreading of the gospel is person to person. The spreading of the gospel is individual 
to individual. And here's the question. Does that have any implication to those of us who are Christians? God's whole plan of spreading the gospel is for individual Christians, me and you, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ in person. That's why Jesus selected those men and He trained those men. Now here's a pointed question. Now I don't need you to answer it out loud and I don't want to see a show of hands. Who have we told about Jesus Christ in the past week? Who have we told about Jesus in the past month? Who have we told about Jesus in the past year? What kind of things do we say about the church? What kind of things do we say about our fellow Christians? Do we talk about the church? Do we talk about our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters, in such a way that those we come in contact would want to be a part of our family? Who have we invited to come and worship with us in the past week or the past month or the past year? In the bulletin today, on the back page, you see 52 and 22 and 53 and 23. Do you remember what those numbers represent? We made a challenge in January of this year to invite one person each week to come to worship. That would have been 52 invitations in 2022. How many of us are actually up to date on those invitations that we've extended? And you see that 53 and 23, that means just one more. Invite just one more than we invited this year. And so let's extend 53 invitations to come and worship with us next year. Do you realize if every person who's a part of this congregation of God's people, <clears throat> pardon me, issued 53 invitations to worship during the next 12 months, we would invite over 2,000 people to come and worship with us. Jesus came for the individual. Now these last, this last paragraph's a bit lengthy, but I want to read it. They went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, I'm at verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thou, who, thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits? And they do obey him. And immediately... His fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And 
forthwith when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Jesus came to bring a message. Jesus came for the individual, for me and for you. And Jesus came to show compassion. Here was a man possessed of an evil spirit. Jesus cast out the evil spirit and gave that man normalcy again. There was a woman sick of a fever. Jesus raised her up and she was well again. Wherever Jesus went, He healed people that were lame. People that were blind received their sight. People that were deaf were made to hear again. He had compassion on people. And He healed people. It was by Jesus' compassion that Jesus won their hearts. When you fill an empty stomach, that individual is much more disposed to listen to you tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. When you put clothes on backs that are cold, then you open doors in hearts to tell the good news that will save people's souls. One of the great principles demonstrated in the life of Christ was this. If you want people to trust you, if you want people to accept your motives as pure and wholesome <clears throat> rather than designing and selfish, do something for them. Help the sick. Help the hungry. Help the poor. Help the distraught. And then their gratitude will overflow. And they're going to listen when you tell them how their soul can be saved. Three simple works. And each one is not only the work of Christ. It's our work also. Jesus came to proclaim a message. He was a teacher. He was a preacher. Every one of us, in public or in private, ought to be a preacher, a teacher. Jesus was also a leader. His wonderful ambitions and ideals and attitudes of faith and trust in God spilled over into the lives of those around Him. We too are leaders. We must be leaders for Jesus Christ. We must call people in such a way they will hear the call. You see, Jesus loved people. And loving people, Jesus did for them what they needed. If there's sickness in a home, we can supply comfort and food and care. If someone's discouraged, we can lift them up and give them an encouraging word. Our Lord had three great purposes. And since we carry His name, since we belong to Him, we have those same three great purposes. To proclaim the gospel. To call people and to do good. As we bring this to a close this morning, see you you thought I was serious when I told you we were going to be here for a while. As we bring this to a close this morning, we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. And it's a wonderful privilege 
Christ lived 1,900 years ago. But His invitation is, and His influence is as alive today as it was then. He calls on people to confess His name before men, repent of sins, be buried with Him in baptism, and then to live as He lived. He calls on people to surrender their stubborn will to His will. He calls on people to make Him Lord and Master of their lives. Have you done that? If Jesus is not Lord and Master of your life this morning, and you need to make changes for Him to be the Lord of all of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us help you do that as together we stand and while we sing.